Welcome to the Sooner Schooner Show, a proud member of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll break down OU's 2023 football schedule, and I'll let you know how OU has done with their new Big 12 foes historically. Urban Meyer ranked his top five college programs or top five college coaching jobs. I'll let you know if OU made his list. And if you can't tell, I'm suffering from a sinus infection or I've got a little something going on. So Eric Bailey will be along to help out the second segment and we'll discuss the schedule further as well as the future of Jeff Levy. Well, finally, after weeks of waiting and tugging at the at the coattails of Brett Yormark to just tell us when OU's going to be playing football next year, the Big 12 schedule was finally released. Fans were excited. Media, or at least on our show, the reaction was, meh, because there's not a lot of marquee games on the schedule. But OU themselves seems like they could have cared less what the Big 12 thought. If you go to Sooner Sports right now, or at least as, the recording, or at least as of the recording of this podcast, you're not going to find the schedule. It's on ESPN. It's on other outlets. OU, they're not advertising it. Oklahoma State, on the other hand, was thrilled to have a schedule. So much so, within minutes after the release, they sent out they sent out a press release. And that, that release, that press release that OSU sent out, had dates, it had times for what they could supply, and it had a breakdown of every team. And part of the reason that is, is, hey, look, OSU is a proud member of the Big 12. OU, on the other hand, they're that college senior who just needs one more class to graduate. And so you've enrolled in three hours. You're going to class begrudgingly. You just want to get it over with. And then you want to walk walk across the stage and get your paper. That's all you want to do right now. Texas is the same way. So no, you're not going to be thrilled about all this. But the good news, even if you're not thrilled, if you're OU and your administration, if you're Brent Venables, you better be doing backflips over this schedule. Because yeah, the Big 12, you're on your way out. They're not very happy about the way you and Texas conspired and did business. They could have screwed you. And they didn't. And it would have been very easy for your mark and the powers that be to say, all right, OU, we're going to put you in Provo, Utah. Then we're going to send you to Ames, Iowa. And then we're going to send you to West Virginia. We're going to do all that back-to-back. So you're going to go Provo, Ames, Morgantown in back-to-back weeks. They didn't do that. And honestly, from a competition standpoint, it would have been very hard to screw OU because there's nobody in this new Big 12 that's ever going to scare OU or, in fact, really going to scare the other Big 12 teams. And for the Sooners, this is a schedule where you could easily go 10-2. and two. If you're improved from where you were last year and that running game with Sawchuck and crew holds up and if Dylan Gabriel is better, and your offensive line can block, and my God, if the defense can tackle, your 85 is going to be better than everybody else's 85 on this schedule, Sands, Texas, period. First three games out of the game, Arkansas State, Southern Methodist, Tulsa, that is an automatic 3-0. If it's not, I would have no issue 
No issue whatsoever if you fired Britton Venables on the spot if you're Joe Castiglione. You follow that up with Cincinnati. You follow Tulsa up. You go to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a school that is changing regimes. You ought to win that one. Iowa State. They haven't been the same for about the last three, for about the last two years. You're better than them. You beat them last year, beat them again this year. Uh, Texas is Texas. Yeah, you lost 49 to nothing, but that game is usually tough. And if everybody's healthy, you got an opportunity to make it one hell of a football game. In fact, I would say go out on, I don't feel like it's going out on a limb to say, oh, you could win that game. The big question surrounding Texas is come October 7th, who's going to be playing quarterback for them? My money would be on Arch Manning. And I hope it's Arch Manning after Quinn Ewers screws up either the Alabama game or one of or one of Texas's other non-cons because we know that when Texas has a quarterback controversy, it does not lead to good things. UCF, you ought to win that one. Kansas, Bedlam will be interesting. Going to Bedlam at Oklahoma State, last time you're going to play that game for probably a 10 or 15-year span. It's hard to see OU and Texas playing each other, or excuse me, OU and OSU playing each other anytime soon. So even if Oklahoma State is over, or they've only won a couple of games going into that, you can bet that it won't take Mike Gundy very much time to walk those guys up to a razor's edge because they would love nothing more than to beat you on their home turf and walk away with one last Bedlam win, knowing that they got the last one, despite the fact that they've already given up. 90 wins to Oklahoma. They want that last one. West Virginia, you lost to them last year, but at least you get to host. At Brigham Young, won't be easy, and then you finish it off at TCU. But if I'm Brett, if I'm Brett Venables, I love that schedule. That is a schedule that can springboard me into the Southeastern Conference because I ought to win a lot of football games. And when it comes to the new opponents... You're two and zero historically against against Cincinnati, um, Brigham Young. You're zero and two, and we'll get back to the we'll get back to uh, that one in in a second. And UCF, you haven't played, so again, advantage OU in in at least two of these matches. Now Brigham Young, you're zero and two, but you've never played Brigham Young under any good circumstances whatsoever. And if you're a Brigham Young fan listening to this, this is just honesty at its absolute finest. The first game you lost to Brigham Young at, or the first game you lost to Brigham Young was in the Copper Bowl. I have a friend that played on that team, and he has told me on more than one occasion that nobody in the program wanted to be there. Gary Gibbs had gotten fired. Howard Schnellenberger was taking over and for some reason felt the need to show up and sit in the press box. The coaches who were running the team at the time were more concerned about getting their resumes fired off and figuring out how they were going to get a new job. So they weren't really into it, and the players didn't want to be there because they knew there was going to be a a regime change, and others were wanting to get prepared for the NFL. So they went out, and they played like it. They got shellacked 31-7 in that game. It's almost a miracle that they even scored seven points. Uh, the OU, I can remember sitting in my fraternity house watching that one and just being happy that OU had won a basketball game earlier that night and how it felt like a much bigger deal 
than, than the football game. Then the second game, Sam Bradford gets hurt. It's Landry Jones' first game. You don't have Jermaine Gresham. You're just coming off that loss to Florida in the national championship. Granted, it was a few months later, but OU didn't have their full deck that night. So, yeah, BYU was able to take advantage of it. If it's a completely healthy OU going up to Provo, I like them, provided the fact that OU's on a roll. But I think for any of us to sit here and say we know how good OU was going to be this year, that's, I mean, we're, we're still guessing. We, we need to see it in action. So hopefully these first four games, not first three, because we got fooled by the first three last year. Hopefully the first four games this year will give us a read on how OU is going to be and what they can do with this schedule against a league that is barely hanging on to Power 5 status. And I look at you know what could be for Oklahoma, what could be a few years down the road, and man, I am just so ready to get the, to play the likes of LSU and Arkansas and get AM back on the schedule for crying out loud. Uh, going down to College Station's fun. Uh, Ole Miss, you know, Alabama kind of goes without, you know, goes without saying Georgia, whatever. And even if it's a bit more than Oklahoma can chew, it's a hell of a lot more exciting than another possible matchup with Houston. The only one of which you lost uh, happened to be at that game at NRG Stadium a few years ago with the with the kick six. But it's just it's that hurry up and wait. Bide your time. Get get all the you know get 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 all the financials taken care of so eventually you can get to the Southeastern Conference. But at least at least we have a schedule. At least we have something to look forward to. And spring ought to be ought to be pretty fun. Um, especially considering that you know Jackson Arnold's gonna be out there playing and hopefully he'll give Dylan Gabriel a little bit of competition. Um, I wanted to get into this in this segment. Normally, I, I wrap up the first segment here, but I wanted to end, end the show with Eric Bailey. Urban Meyer was on a podcast, and he ranked his top five coaching jobs, or top five coaching jobs, top five college football programs, however however you want to put it. Now, it should be noted, before he actually went into the rankings, he did acknowledge that Alabama was a, a top five program. So he at least gave you that. Um, number one was Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. He cheated a little bit on three. He had Florida slash Florida State, followed by LSU and USC. Now, if you're scratching your head wondering, okay, where's Oklahoma in all this? And if you're like me, you're wondering, where's Texas in all this? It was all based on tradition and a 300-mile radius and what talent or what the access you had to talent and how that talent uh, how that talent was progressing and whether or not that talent was going in the or were they making it to the NFL. And I don't have a problem per se with the list, but OU should have definitely been on it with that criteria. I don't know if Urban knows this, but OU's got nine players, nine players who are playing in Super Bowl 57 this week. Now I'm counting. I, I am counting Grant Calcaterra. I'm also counting Trey Sermon in, in in that. But yeah, nine players. Them and Florida have the most players in Super Bowl Fifty Seven. So with that, Urban should have been a little bit more cognizant. And when you take tradition into account, 
Four coaches have won 100 games. No other school can boast of that. What's interesting to me is that he said Alabama's top five. And of the two, Alabama's had the more recent success on a larger scale. But if you're an OU fan, there are two schools you should look at every year and say, if they're good, we ought to be that good. Alabama's one, Michigan's the other, because the schools have a lot in common. Alabama has good high school football. Some of it can be great, but it's it's pretty good. Same with Michigan. But Michigan gets a lot of their players from Ohio. Alabama, much like Oklahoma, you border Florida, you get a lot of your players from there. And I would imagine there's probably more Florida players on the Alabama roster than there are Alabama players. Just like normally there are more Texas players on the roster at OU than there are players from Oklahoma. Alabama and OU are really what I call sister programs. They both recruit nationally. They both, again, we've established the good high school football in their state better in a bordering state. Their fans, Alabama and OU fans, are an us-against-the-world mentality, and they love to just stick it in your face when they beat you. Plus, football is king. Football is very, very important to both and both have enough check writers that they will do whatever they can to make sure that those, that those schools are succeeding. And if you win, like Nick Saban has, like Bob Stoops has, as long as you're winning at a, at a high clip, people are going to leave you alone. The minute you falter or people feel like you're slipping, that's when they get involved. And I haven't seen two programs mirror each other the way that those do. I mean, because Texas – it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Somebody's already down your back. Now, I would have put Texas on my list just because I like the idea of being able to recruit your home state, not having to worry about going outside of it, and still having one of the best rosters in, in America. Not to mention Texas has more money than God, and they've used it pretty well to their advantage, um, although they've gotten lax lately, and they're now just upgrading their facilities. Um, but Texas should be a school that should be on that list. And I guess because they've underachieved, right now they're the most underachieving program in college football. I guess Meyer didn't feel it was right to rank them there. But, yes, certainly Urban, I think you want to go back and revisit it. But then again, you are Urban Meyer. You're the same guy that let one of your assistants abuse his wife and tried to sweep that under the rug, had multiple issues down in Florida, and then were a complete disaster to Jaguars. So, really, who gives a crap what you think? Coming up next, we'll talk with a guy that we do care what he thinks. It's Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World. And we break down OU's schedule even further. You're listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Sooner Schooner Show. Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World was kind enough to join me because he knew I wasn't going to be able to pull off a full 20 minutes uh, with, with this voice. And if you can tell, it sounds a little raw now. So uh, he jumped on the phone earlier with me today, and I asked him, whether or not OU should be jumping for joy over their new schedule because of how easy it seems to be to go 10-2. and two. I, if, I'm, if I'm OU, if I'm Brent Venables, I like the way the schedule's set up because if I'm better, it's going to give me a good launching pad to go into the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, that's a great point, Eric. When you look at the schedule, would you rather play... And, and with all due respect, BYU and Cincinnati are good. I mean, they're good teams, but do they ha- are they ready for the Big Twelve? Every we'll see. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to downplay those programs at all. But if you're Oklahoma, would you rather play BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF, 
versus a Baylor team that, that's beat you a couple years in a row or a Kansas State team that's beat you three or four games? Uh, do you want to play those schools instead of that? Um, yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, they are getting sent to the road. Uh, they're going to BYU and to Cincinnati, which isn't a surprise. You know, the Big 12, I think, you know, I think the Big 12 was always going to make sure that Oklahoma goes somewhere that those schools could, you know, get them once in their stadium. So I think that's that's not a surprise. Uh, they're not playing Houston, but that's okay because uh, they've played Houston twice since 2016. So it just makes sense to me that they wouldn't play Houston. So, but you're right. I, I think if you're Oklahoma, you know, there's there's nothing wrong. You're going to play the best of the best anywhere. You, you know, if you're Oklahoma and you, you, you for years you've been one of the better teams, you're, you're not going to shy from anyone. But that being said I, I i think you know playing a byu in cincinnati it's probably a little better than playing a k-state and a baylor that beat you the last couple of years well yeah i mean you you I mean no no k-state no baylor no tech there's there's three losses uh, you know already off your schedule for from lat from last year um and i still think OU should be better than those schools but i mean heck climate's got ou's number he's three and one against them and i don't know if you can always write that wrong so Brent Venables, with this kind of schedule, and he's probably relieved by this kind of schedule. What is the pass fail? Is it eight and four? Is it nine and three? Or, or does he have to win ten plus? I think you have to make a, a really big improvement on six and seven. I think nine and three, uh, ten and two would be a good a good regular season record and not, you know, it's going to be a tough season. It's going to be hard again. I, I think they will be better than last year. And they lost so many close games. I mean, the four, three point losses. I mean, that's, that's incredible when you think about it, you know, you, you can easily go back and say they should have did this better, should have done this better. You know, they're, they're that close really uh, to winning four games and, and being a 10 win team. So, um, I think nine and three, ten and two. I think that those those are, are you know probably what you need to get to because you need to have that steady improvement when you're getting ready to go to the SEC. And as we mentioned, they only play out of the state four times out of their twelve games, and and really only have two true road games when you think about it because they go to Texas in Dallas. You know, go to Dallas to play Texas where half the stadium's OU fans. They go to Lawrence where there's going to be a lot of OU fans in Lawrence. And the only hostile environments they'll have is BYU and Cincinnati. So, in that, in terms of that, the schedule's kind as well. Um, Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World joining us here on ninety-seven-one, the Sports Animal. And you know, I've, I've had people ask me, Eric, to you know pick OU schedule, and I, I say it's set up to go a worse ten and two. I don't, I don't know if they'll do that. Um, I think nine and three, eight and four is is definitely reasonable, but. If we're we're talking today here on February first, and we're being realistic about it, you know how good can we expect OU to to be next year? I know that they're going to be better, at least I think they're going to be better. Uh, but honestly, I, I don't like I don't have a good read on them, and I I really don't have a read on Oklahoma State right now, and I don't know anyone that does. Yeah, both schools, especially Oklahoma. I, I just don't know. It's hard to get a read. I think they're going to be better. I think on defense there's going to be a youth movement. You're going to see some younger players and some athletic and talented players, but there will be a little bit of growing pains there as they make that transition uh, to being you know, a, a starter and playing a lot on Saturdays. But I think that's okay. I think the, the 
Kentucky non-conference games are really, really going to help these young defensive players a lot uh, when you're playing Tulsa, SMU, and Arkansas State. I think that's going to be an important time for those young defensive players. On offense, it's going to come down to the offensive line and playmakers at wide receiver. They're going to have to have guys step up on the edge. They're going to have to play really strong on the offensive line. You know, and they proved they could. And when you look at what they did in the bowl game, uh, they you know four missing four starters and playing Florida State like they did. That was good. So he, there's questions across the board. You know, will Dylan Gabriel have a better year than last year? I think he will. Well, how much will Jackson Arnold play? Will he really start? You know, really, really make a charge to get some playing time? I think he will as well there too. So. It's going to be a younger team. They're going to be a better team, though. And Brent Venables, I mean, he he learned a lot, too. It's not just the players, it's the coaches. Brent Venables learned a lot in his first year as a head coach, and I think that's going to pay off in some way in year two. The other thing I want to ask about is Jeff Levy. Uh, Nick Saban talked to the the offensive coordinator at Washington. He turned him down. And obviously, Nick Saban's got guys he, he could promote. He's got former head coaches. Um, a guy like Derek Dooley would be very easy to promote into that offensive coordinator job. But Jeff Levy's name just keeps hanging out there. And I've heard that he's already told Nick Saban no, but I listen to people in Alabama, and that name just doesn't seem to be going going away. Could we see Nick Saban, Jeff Levy, at least have a conversation here in the next couple of weeks? Well, I think it was Jeff Levy, and if you already said no, I mean, that I, we don't know what those private conversations are like. I will say this, if you're Jeff Levy or any coach, really, if Nick Saban comes calling, you need to listen, uh, no matter who you are. Uh, that doesn't matter. If it's Jeff Levy or anyone across the country, you listen to Nick Saban because of the success he's had. But I, I think it says a lot for uh, for Jeff Levy. I mean, Oklahoma fans were kind of just, they were, they were getting upset with the way that the offense was planned this year, but it says a lot when Alabama is making phone calls, you know, if, if true, if they're making phone calls to Jeff Levy and saying we want you to be our coordinator, how much does that say about Levy and his potential and and what he's built and what you know? Just give it. It's one of those times you just got to give it time, and it's, it's hard for. And in today's society, it's hard to be patient for anything. And Oklahoma, they've been so, uh, you know, just blessed with really good football teams. It's hard being patient if you're an Oklahoma fan, too. So I, I just think that it's one of those things where I think Levy's, I, I think you give Levy a little bit more time at Oklahoma if you're a fan and, and, and be thankful that schools like Alabama are taking shots at him, that they're interested in what he can do. And that says a lot for his potential. I feel sorry for coaches. In this in this day and age, and this was prior to even social media getting hot, but until a job you are linked to is filled, there's always going to be speculation about whether or not you're leaving. And that's not always fair. I mean, they could be sitting down at dinner with you. They could have their hand on the Bible. They could swear to God that they are not going to take that job. And until you see it with your own eyes, you always have speculation. At least that's the way us in the media roll. Maybe the fans are, are, will believe them a little bit more because they want to believe them a little bit more. Uh, but ultimately, it's a very frustrating time for coaches because we just can't believe what you say because we've seen too many instances where other people have done something, and it's not fair to you. So I guess in a long way, I'm apologizing to Jeff Levy and every other coach that we speculate as much as we do. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another riveting episode. And before we go, I just want to say, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to paraphrase Don Cornelius, love, peace, and boomer sooner.